0: You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 130 Kubo and the Two Strings. Who's the monkey?
1: Hello, and welcome. Welcome to this episode of the Animation Addicts Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Stradling, and if you're watching me live on YouTube or watching in the archive in YouTube, you're probably wondering why I'm just a giant flashing R. It's because my computer today does not recognize that I have a camera built into my computer. So moving on, let's talk about my <laughs> other co-hosts, Chelsea Robson and Mason Smith. Say hello, guys. hello. Hello.
0: Hello, hello! I'm in the dark of night here in my room. It's extra spoopy in here.
2: I'm in Brazil. Hey, Chelsea's in Brazil. I am. I am reporting from Sao Paulo. Wow, it's been good times. What
0: does Sao What does Sao Paulo mean in in Brazilian
2: um, in, Saint, in
0: Portu- Portuguese? Saint Paul. <laughs> okay. Well. Well,
2: not Saint, so, but yeah, basically it's referring to Saint Paul.
0: Well, all right, all right.
2: Good times.
1: Yes. So uh, Mason off air was mentioning that he had a bet that Chelsea was going to be kidnapped. And so far, uh, she has not... Don't say that. <laughs> she has not, as we are very happy, especially because we have video reference of you. We know this isn't just some Chelsea impersonator. It is the real exactly. deal, Chelsea, live in Brazil. The so, real deal. And it's much later in um, Brazil right now. It's 10 o'clock. We're recording this, you know, early, late afternoon, early evening. So we appreciate Chelsea taking the time to sacrifice and, and talk about... A very fantastic movie, in my own opinion. Kubo and the Two Strings, Ooh, which is going to be our Kubo. main focus film today. I'm very excited to talk about it. Um, I'm, yeah, so, anything.
0: Anyway. El Kubo, man. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Animation Addicts podcast where we sit down like three nerdy animation-loving friends and talk about what we love about animation. So, this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a recurring listener, welcome back. hey. hey. And, of course, all this video, all this awesome video gadgetry is brought to you by our wonderful patrons. You should totally check out how to be a patron subscriber at rotoscopers.com slash patron.
1: It's a good deal. Excellent It It is a great deal. <laughs> talking about our main discussion, which is the newly released Leica Leica film, Kubo and the Two Strings. So, of course, uh, spoiler alert, if you have not seen the film yet, you might want to exit here because we will absolutely be spoiling the film, talking about the ins, the outs, everything about this film. Um, So I highly recommend seeing this film coming back and pushing play on the podcast again because it's just too good not to miss out on
2: this film actually does not come out until October in Brazil. So, Whoa, we are really jumping the gun. So you haven't even seen it. I've seen it. No, actually we were able to see the, we were able to see the, um, pre-screening. It was like the night before I left. So,
0: Oh, you, you Arizona folk, get so lucky. I've, I've only been to one, um, I've only been to one advanced screening, and that was for Brave, and we had to go to like the most ghetto movie theater in Austin <laughs> to do it. But it was free. <laughs> you sacrifice. Since, since since then I have graciously um turned down Morgan's offers for um advanced tickets in Texas so that I can watch the movie with the common folk. And do you know what happened <laughs> when I saw do you know what happened when I saw Kubo in the two strings yesterday? Alice.
1: I'm sure it's an amazing cause Mason always has the best experiences at the theater
0: do you guys do you guys all right you guys for those of you who watch the podcast i i get very excited and very passionate about my theater experience i am a hard-working free thinking american (laughs) and i have a constitutional right to enjoy my movie uh when i go to the theater and so i i frequently tell these horror stories about people who were disturbed uh disturbing everyone in the theater or crying babies who shouldn't be there in the first place or uh, some guy who laughs at all the jokes like he's on ecstasy. I did not have a single problem. It was the perfect screening. It was 1:50 p.m. Um, in the afternoon, and I had absolutely no problems. It was the most pleasant movie experience in my in my life. You know why? Because nice. I was the only person in the theater.
1: <laughs> that is Ooh. both good yet bad.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's not. I was a little creeped out actually. Um, I've
2: actually but, seen movies where it's like I was the only one in the theater, and it really did kind of creep me out. I was just like, I feel like I shouldn't be here, <laughs> but it Did was you guys great. realize
0: that I lucked out because I basically bought out the theater without knowing I had actually bought it out? I
1: had a private screening. I had a,
0: my own private screening. Was Shannon I, with you? I didn't even sign up for it. No, um, she was at work. I... Um, the only time I could do it, we, we got back from vacation Saturday. Um, I don't, I don't go out and see movies on Sunday. Uh, I had to do stuff on Monday. And so yesterday was the only day I could do it because today I worked. And mm-hmm. so I, there were only, th- there were only three 2d screenings in, in my town, which is really weird because I would think that they would, I don't know, I guess it's competing with a lot of other films. Like a, a bunch of new films probably came out while we were on vacation. and kind of bumped it out, but, um, yeah, only, only three screenings available for the entire day, so I had to go to the one oh, wow. in the middle of the day. Yeah, well, yeah.
2: We, so you saw it in 2D then?
0: I saw it in 2D. I don't I don't I don't like to see 3D films because uh, I'm not a loser. I'm just kidding. Because they give me a headache. Really. They kind of disorient me. And Shannon doesn't like them either, so I I tend to go to the, the 2D uh, screenings. Yeah, so
1: I have a choice. Okay. I go regular, but we saw this in 3D, and eh, I didn't think it really How- added much at all.
0: I didn't. Which think it never, it it never does. Like, it
1: seems it's just such a gimmick to get in a few extra bucks.
0: Right, right, right. It could either be like, uh, oh, we're not trying to make this 3D. Like you can watch it in 3D if you want. Or it could be like, see it in 3D because we have stuff flying at the camera. You know, and in which case the gimmicks kind of detract from the entire experience. But anyway, uh, QED. It was the the greatest movie experience I had. The only thing that would make it better if I I had my darling Shanna by my side. So it was just about perfect.
1: Because I was That's- the only person there <laughs> well, good <laughs> well, this kind of leads in empty theaters let's talk about uh, how this film has done uh, the box office and whatnot so But before we get to that let's just talk about some general statistics about the film. so obviously, we have Kubo and the two strings it is the studio is Leica. Which is based in Oregon. This is their fourth film that they have done so far. Their fourth fourth feature film. Directors are Travis Knight, who is the president and CEO. This is, I believe, the first film that he has actually directed. Um, ever. All the other films he had other directors. Mm-hmm. And um, I was listening to an interview that he did with the Bancroft Brothers, and they he he. It was a fantastic interview. So I will link that in the show notes. But he was just talking about he was kind of waiting for a a film that really spoke to him and he could really, you know, feel confident in directing. And I think he did a fantastic job. Mm -hmm. Um, Release date in the United States was August 19th, 2016. So it's been about two weeks since it was released. And the budget is $60 million. So uh, a little lower than what we're used to for, you know, films. Released nowadays. Uh, Domestically, unfortunately, it has only made uh, $26.5 million to date, which is uh, not necessarily the best. That's just domestic. As far as foreign releases, it has $2.7 million um, internationally. Putting the worldwide total at $29.2 million, which I am just, to be honest, shocked to see such a low box office grossing for this i was very disappointed that you know oh, yeah. opening weekend it didn't even break the top three and it just hasn't resonated with audiences which is which makes me so sad because i went into this and i was thinking meh i don't know i i'm not too pumped but i'm i'm optimistic because it's Leica, and this i think is one of my favorite Leica films to date um
0: oh man it's my favorite, hands down. For sure. Oh, I don't know. Coraline's tough to beat. Yeah, I think it's better than Coraline, actually. To me, this
1: felt very much like a traditional fairy tale where it was something that you could almost read in a children's book or, or chapter book or just ch- kind of the traditional fairy tales that we grew up knowing, like the, whether it, it's you know, the European fairy tales or some of these. These uh, more Asian fairy tales. It just felt like this could have been a story that had been told for a long time, eons. But um, so let's just start off. Why do you think it hasn't resonated with audiences yet?
0: Because they're lame.
2: Because they are lame. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> well, as mentioned before, there it has not been released in a lot of countries. So as far as the um, international. Um, statistics it's not it's a very low number just because it hasn't been released in a lot of places well it's but, been released as far
1: as- yeah some kind of i mean australia hong kong israel malaysia netherlands new zealand peru south america south africa spain taiwan ukraine and vietnam mm-hmm. okay all doing less than a million dollars well and those mm-hmm. were all released on the 28th which was just a few days ago so
2: yeah there you go
0: i don't know man do you think it was do you think it's been mismarketed? Because I know it kind of had a transition from Kubo and the Two Strings to Kubo. Yes. You know, everyone loves Kubo. And then they did they do what they this so it's so cliche. How they do this in movie trailers where they say the name of the main character and they'll do a montage of characters saying the name of the character <laughs> in the film. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Kubo, Kubo, Kubo! They did it for Shrek. Yeah, they did it. Kubo, <laughs> Kubo, Kubo! Yeah. You know? <laughs> they did it with Shrek. They, they did it with Kubo. And, but yeah, um, I've seen that they do that, and they switch the imagery from Kubo with the guitar to Kubo with the sword. And actually, there are movie posters that show Kubo with the un- sword unbreakable and monkey with the sword unbreakable also. Oh. So it's like a, it's like a disconnect. So like swords everywhere. We got to have swords. Yeah. Apparently. No no kids are going to want to watch a show about a kid who fights with a guitar. <laughs> yeah. Come yeah.
1: on. Yeah, it, I, I did know. notice that too that in the trailers they had just shortened it to Kubo, but the film its official title was never shortened. It was just in the advertising. They didn't really want to get into the whole and the two strings. And the two strings. It was, just, ah, Kubo's cooler, it's easier, yeah. it's shorter, let's just keep the attention span. Yeah, and um I thought the, the marketing, for the most part, was pretty good. I thought that, especially shortening it to just Kubo, I mean, I noticed because I paid attention to that, but um I think I couldn't say anything wrong with the trailers. And so does this bring up the the, basically, discussion that Stop motion just doesn't resonate with audiences anymore because uh, a, f- a week prior to this was the release of Sausage Party, which is the <laughs> Seth Rogen R-rated comedy, which completely took the world by storm and actually has done oh my uh, quite well
0: it's done really compared
1: well. to this. So let's see, as of... Tid- well, it's just
2: getting... I mean, you know it's just getting the Seth Rogen crowd. Yes, but like it his, is... is—he's. He's got his own, he's got a fan base, you know?
1: Yeah, totally. So um, Sausage Party has been out a few weeks, and it's at $90.6 million, according to Box Office Mojo. Uh, significantly better, basically, for almost four times what Puba has done, just with having an extra week in there, obviously, but... Yeah, it's funny because, you know, you would look at a film like Sausage Party and think, oh, wow, there's a very limited audience for that. But then again, maybe not. Uh, I was interested to see how Sausage Party would fare with people who normally wouldn't go see animation. Um, and apparently they liked it quite, quite well. <laughs> and then we hear on the other side, we have Kubo <laughs> and the Two Strings, which, you know, is, I think, a bit more of a so, – so it's – a more of a broad story. I feel that it appealed to more people than some animated films that are released. Let's say Norm of the North or some of these ones that come, come off as <laughs> oh, very kitty. Even, you know, The Secret Life of Pets. I don't, But right. um, it, I just feel that there still is some sort of stereotype with animation. And, and we do see occasional films break it. You know, obviously, the big names. But uh, do you think it's a stop-motion thing? Or is it more just advertising the story? What is it?
0: Man, I... I really enjoy this film. Like, as yeah. an animation, as a lover of animation, as an animation addict, right? I really enjoyed the film and I would rate it pretty highly. Um, I don't know, man. This summer, we've had a lot of, of more flashy animated films. I think people have gathered to Sausage Party. They've gathered around the sausage like they gathered around Shrek. They wanted to see th- something that broke the status quo. And while raunchy R-rated animated films aren't exactly unheard of anymore, the fact that it got the that it got like the the Seth Rogen stamp, you know, it got it it broke into mainstream comedy was probably refreshing to people. And maybe, unfortunately, it competed with Kubo and Kubo lost. My personal feelings on it is that I don't really care that Kubo is not as apparently not that popular with audiences as long as Leica can still make enough money to keep doing movies, because yeah. as I understand it, uh, Travis Knight and the rest of the crew at Kubo are wanting to eventually transition into a yearly release yep. schedule for their films, according to some interviews. Yep.
3: In mm-hmm. fact,
0: they're already working on their next release. They have been uh, mm-hmm. for, for a while, apparently. A little while, apparently. And so, I really hope that they can keep up that schedule, and for that reason, um, I do want Kubo to succeed, but I don't I don't need for something that I feel really passionate about that I love a lot. I don't need to feel validated by having a lot of people like it. Yeah, too, but I do worry about. Yeah, the if they are if yeah. they are
1: wanting to stick to or to begin doing a yearly release schedule, their films have to produce the revenue and the profits to to make these endeavors worth it. And so that's, that's the, basically what comes down to it. I just I, a film that's so good, and I hate to see it do so poorly because that means that the future of these innovative films that tend to come from Leica. Um, or that have come from, like, are uh, hanging in the balance, it seems. So right. hopefully, you know, Chelsea, well, your Brazilian fellows will, you know, <laughs> come to this in, in droves. Yeah. You know, obviously there's still Ish. a big Asian market, which has not t- been released. Oh. to. There, there was a few c- countries um, in that area, but not, you know, China or Japan it had not been released yet. So let's give some time. But in the meantime, let's just, let's dive into the film and talk about what we thought about it. So I think we are all generally positive based on our first thoughts and kind of how the conversation well, has gone. Add,
2: one thing I did want to add before we move on is just the fact that another thing to add to the mix is Leica is still a, but it's not a public company, which also gives the right and the direction to be able to make such innovative and um, just different films, as opposed to moving over to more of the mainstream, predictable type. I saw a little bit earlier on um, in the comments that how that tends to be something that that ends up, you know, people who go to the movies, they especially parents, they want to know what they're getting into and they want to know that their money is going to be worth it. And so for somebody going in, they may have thought, oh, is this going to be an artsy type film? I don't know. I just know that from every little bit that ever I ever saw of this on the trailers, I was just in awe. And it's been one of my favorite upcoming films since I first saw that trailer. So for me, it is really sad that it, people haven't gone and given and really seen this movie because there's so much to say.
0: Well, one thing that you can say to just kind of start off a general discussion is that I think this could be the most ambitious stop motion film ever mm-hmm. even more than the little prince i think just because of the sheer scope and the the technical steps that they took mm-hmm. and let's let's clear the air uh, with something real quick is that Leica does not want to be a purist stop motion um studio no um, they i believe they will continue to be doing stop motion but one of the most defining and awesome parts of this that I enjoyed from watching this film was the extensive and seamless blending of stop-motion and CG. So um, I had a buddy, his name is Chow. Um, Chow was in my grad program, and he recently got a job as a CG rigger at Leica last year. When I heard about it, when he announced it on Facebook, I was like, yeah, right, faking it. There's no <laughs> CG at Leica. But lo and behold, he is. Um, like I said, Leica doesn't want to be a pure stop-motion studio. They blended um, CG environments, CG compositing and uh CG characters like background characters and crowd characters with the main hero characters who were in stop motion. I'm 90% certain that they uh they're like large crowds and their background characters were CG. You just like watch mm-hmm. them, you know. And um I I re- I've read a bunch of articles and making of stuff like that where they use a lot of green screening and stuff like that. They tried to do practical effects for the water uh, in the the lake sequence, and it just didn't work. So they went with a digital effect. And you know what? I think it's a great idea. Like, you got to remember, um, A, these are not tiny little models. These are, like, full-blown, like, 6 to 12-inch maquettes. Very technical. They build, ro- six, they build robot eight. systems. Yeah. And, oh, yeah, we'll get to that. And... Um, these movies aren't getting any cheaper, and so um, why not add some CG? Because the fidelity and the uh, trueness to material that you can achieve in uh, with digital effects uh, can, can really add to your film and, and add to the scope. And what we see is that th- this film is just epic. It's literally a, a, like a samurai epic, and that's mm-hmm. what they wanted from the beginning, right? Yes. I think it was an artist on Coraline who conceived this idea of, of this sweeping, dramatic... Um, you know, Japanese samurai epic. And what we've ended up with was, was brilliant, um, scale in, in scope. Like we've got 66,000 3d printed faces. I think they said that combined, there were like, there were like several million facial expressions that they were throwing around, you know, and oftentimes they, they would switch in a head or a facial expression for every frame in a second, which is 24 frames, you know, and, um, you know, search up the, uh, pencil tests that they did to block out the animation like some people actually went in and 2d animated some of these characters and um and then chelsea mentioned the giant skeleton dude i i read sometimes i read 16 sometimes i read 18 but he's like very large i think he's he's the largest um model that they've built for their films yeah you know
2: well and also this is the longest stop-motion film ever Um, Coraline had the record prior, um, but this one beat it out by one whole minute of footage. So,
0: wow. One whole minute,
2: which is a lot.
0: (laughs) And then they had the whole closing credits which were 2d animated.
4: Mm -hmm. Really
0: interesting. But yeah, I, I think like, it depends on which article you read, but sometimes it says they got away with, um, producing two full seconds of animation a week. Um, others are like some other articles say close to like four, Mm -hmm. um, seconds of film. Created every week, and God, oh, what a production schedule! Like such hard work, much much length, such long, wow,
2: such long, <laughs> such, such long.
1: Yeah, I've been I've been watching long. some behind the scenes videos of this, and if you stayed to the end credits, you obviously got to see a little taste, as Leica always does in their films, and just again, I say this every single time, I am so blown away by this process of, of stop motion and, and, and really, really admire and look up to, to the artists who, you know, have to think of everything and not only, you know, think and, and model and move everything that's on, um, in the scene, but also make sure to get it right and don't mess up because that's a lot of work to to go back and redo, Mm -hmm. you know, when, you know, in CG or even 2d, you you can maybe just, you know, tweak this one little part, but, I mean, if you mess up a scene, you mess up the whole scene. You can't just go back and fix the one character. But, but perhaps you can. Um, but it's, it's I mean, it very really, like, intricate, chunks. and I love it. So.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was brilliant. And what's interesting is that um, if you contrast this with Coraline, like their stop-motion animation is getting more and more advanced and mm-hmm. fluid. Like uh, like I said, they've got all sorts of technical, uh, physical rigs, um, you know, like robots, uh, armatures, etc., that they use to move the characters. I saw a demo of um, an artist uh, working with the cape of one of the sisters, and it had this very, um, this, I, I'm, it had some sort of wire or some sort of structure underneath to where she could just bend it and it would hold that position. Really cool. And I, it just blows my mind how they did stuff like the cape and Kubo's hair, like the super subtle uh, movement and the fur on Monkey, which I understand was Laika's first like fully uh, full fur character, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the all the leaves and all the paper swirling around and, and stuff, and you see that they have these little little pulls, you know, that that hold the oh sorry, little poles, you know, that hold the thing out, and then I guess they just comp that out and stuff like that, and. And I, I don't even know, man. It, but what's funny is that I read one review that actually complained at how advanced the animation is. That they said that um, they they were yearning for that old magic that that um, not seamless, the opposite of seamless, that kind of clunky, imperfect effect, <laughs> thumbprints on watching. the face.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, like
0: the Wallace and Gromit kind of thing, you know, and stuff like that. And they were really um, pining for that. And they said that. It uh, that uh, Kubo lost its the magic of stop motion because it got so advanced.
2: I don't it, think it, so.
0: I don't really believe that because I did see the imperfections and stuff like that. Yeah. It, it's there. It's like the very subtle imperfections of a um, of a two D like a hand drawn film, maybe something from the Xerox era at Disney.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, it's a it's a silly comp- complaint. We've got uh, Finn sixty eight on the. <laughs> On YouTube chat uh, chiming in with that. It is a silly complaint, but it also brings up, like, at what point is Leica going to, like, do you think is ever going to be like, okay, why don't we just make a really good-looking CG film? You know, do you think it'll ever get to that point, or do you think they'll, they'll stay on their route? Because even the director admitted that it's kind of ludicrous to go the stop-motion route with such an ambitious concept.
1: Yeah, I mean, I listened to another interview with him. And he he mentioned that you know like you like he said they don't necessarily only want to do stop motion. So I do see a day when like he even talked about two D could be in their future. I mean they really just want to tell the best use the best medium to tell their story. Traditionally that has been stop motion. It's kind of what they've become known for. But they're kind of wanting kind of wanting to branch out, which I think will be interesting because um, we've heard that from Disney that oh we don't. The, the, the We don't give direction as whether this should be a CGI or a traditional film. We let the directors choose. Yet, uh, ever, ever since yeah, yeah, We Need the Pooh was released, the they're all CGI. So, um, right. uh, and, and that's because their studio is set up as a CGI pipeline. So I, I find it a little hard to believe that suddenly they'd be like, no, we're 100% 2D. Let's bring back the drawing tables. So I, I like hearing that that Leica is open to exploring other things. But then again, I mean, they just do this so well. I want them to continue with stop motion and keep refining and just um, being very, uh, what's the term? Basically pioneering in, in what stop motion can do when combined with technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was kind of thinking about how we could structure this episode. And I noticed that the film, it, you, it's kind of like a, an Odyssey type setup where the the hero and his partner they go to a a sequence of of places trying to find some things and they meet some people and so thought maybe we could go um, by the characters because the characters are very interesting oh, in this film. Let's do it. You start off well. You start off with the mom who's this fascinating animated character. Yes, like that opening sequence is like. <laughs> I'm just kidding, and then when she, she hits the guitar, it's like and the sea parts, and it's like let my people go. I'm just kidding. I'm getting into a uh, Prince of Egypt there, um, different continent, but she's so strange in the beginning because she okay. So she hits her head. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, you need to go see this film before you you partake of this uh, podcast episode. And she hits her head on the ocean, you, you know, and. And stuff, and so she gets the scar, and the baby survives. And so, uh, I didn't quite understand her situation in the first act of the film. Like, is she like suffering from dementia or like brain damage? Is that what I'm supposed to kind of get out of it?
1: That's what I assume.
0: Is there a curse on her? Like, why is she only like lucid or active during the night? Did y'all figure out? I agree. It
1: was never clear, and you kind of, by the time I, I was very confused initially trying to figure out what her situation was, and by the time, you know, I wanted to look into it more. We just kind of moved on. You know, she, she did come to her senses, her normal self at the very, at that, that scene where she has to rescue Kubo. Thank goodness, Cubo, Cubo, Cubone,
4: um, Cubone. He lost his mom.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it, it's perfect. It does. Oh, it's meant to it's be perfect. <laughs> uh, she is a Kangaskhan, and he is the he is the little oh, baby Kangaskhan. Oh, I, so he puts the skull that, on the head and turned into theory.
0: Cubone. That theory, though, I love that theory. As a gen as a gen 1-er, I appreciate. Anyways, that we will
1: go uh, away from this Pokemon tangent. You can join us for our other podcast, which is. Pokey stories with Mason and Morgan.
0: Pokey stories with Mason and Morgan. Mason's, Mason's g- conquest of Generation 1.
1: But I agree. I did not understand really what had happened there. I would have liked to have a little bit more clarification. But nonetheless, it, um, she just wasn't all there. Let's just put it at that.
2: Well, she also, later on you realize that she's one of these night creatures. Mm-hmm. So all of her sisters can't come out during the day. And so that's one of the reasons why she can't, she's not really all there during the day. Um, that's what I got out of it. As far as your Shoot. she's comes alive at night. As far as like her memory and more about her, like so, her spirit is more alive at night. When that's kind of what happens with her sisters. Her sisters don't come out right. until the moon is out, and that's one of the main reasons why she was like, "Don't ever go out into the moonlight," because that they're when gonna find you. Find
0: Hide your Kubo, hide your monkey, and hide your mom because they're kidnapping Eyes everyone out But I
1: like I the way that this was set up because it really put us in a situation where we, um, you know, Kubo was very mature for his age and he had to go out and basically mm-hmm. make money for the family and use his talents and perform and take care of his well, mom why, why to an extent. They, and it, it really showed that they live development in a normal house. Him. What?
0: Why can't they live in a normal house? Why do they have to live in a cave? Because
1: it's so much cooler to live in Pride Rock. Above everyone else, than <laughs> was in the dingy wrong. village.
0: I love it, dingy village.
2: Well, and also like they—he only gets paid so much, and he's the one that's taking care of them. He can't afford to get a house.
1: Seriously, with interest rates these days—forget about Seriously. it. Seriously,
2: actually, yeah. they're
1: quite yeah. low. So, back back so then. Right, right off the bat,
0: uh, I like Kubo. I think he's a cool um, protagonist for an animated film. Uh, missing one parent, so check that off the list for animation mandatory tropes. attribute. Yeah, animation tropes. I like. Um, I like. Um, he's kind of. He's kind of funny. Like he's kind of a jokester. Mm-hmm. You know, and I will admit he's one of those. Um, he's one of those animated characters that does not seem to have any flaws, and so you kind of miss out on that plot point. You know how they do that, kind of like the Aladdin thing. Like he's a great guy, but he he told too many lies, you know. <laughs> but it's still refreshing that there was no "you lied to me" moment. So he he's definitely a different character. Do I like him more than Norman from Paranorman? I don't know. It's hard to say, but he's got the coolest guitar ever. It makes uh, origami things magic.
2: Seriously, like his storytelling was so cool. <laughs> I just thought that blink. was fantastic. Ever, like oh, all, we should everything have everything uh... moving around, it was just I just every moment I just thought, oh my gosh, somebody did that.
1: I loved all the Japanese elements of this story. Obviously, origami played a part, but um, even the look and feel was was designed after famous Japanese wood um, woodblock prints. Uh, specifically, the, there's a very famous one called the Great Wave of Kanagawa, where it's basically. When you think of Japan, you think of this wave, right? And they, in that very initial scene with the mom, they they wanted that to mirror that famous woodblock print. But I really love the design of this film, and I know we're not really talking about that, but um, the origami sparked it. I just like the, the very traditional elements that they included to kind of make this feel very native and real.
0: Well, they do kind of go into that... Uh, it goes into that paper-mation... Mm-hmm. Realm, mm-hmm. like that, um, mm-hmm. like what they do with Little Prince, and so I, I thought that was pretty cool. Now, I, um I do not know why Kubo's guitar is magic. I don't remember. I don't remember why he has that guitar in the first place. His mom had it, and she had the pick of destiny that <laughs> uh, that kind of did the thing and well, did think- the thing with the wave. Your your guitar does that that whoosh thing. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, I think she, like, this is basically my, how I explained it all in my head. Um, she's magic, and she can endow certain things with magic. And so that's how like, she got... Like
0: his wings. Like his robe. Like his
2: robe, yes. like So she yeah. took different parts of her magic and endowed it into these, into these objects so that he could have it, as opposed to not having it uh, later. Um, so that's what I got out of that. And then... Yeah, later on with the two strings, it's like even more magic because it's a memories of her and memories of them together. Like the dad oh, and that's the That's what the
0: two strings are. <laughs> you didn't so know that? I was gonna I was gonna bring this up later, but I, I got to the end of the film and I was like what are the two strings oh. exactly? Like, there were supposed oh. to be two strings Please. I was supposed to so be looking were, for? So there were three strings. They were the bracelets? There were
1: three strings initially, yes. And so yeah. then, um, so the whole time I was sitting here, I'm like, this movie is called Kubo and the Tr- Two Strings. Why are there three? You know, and so that, that kind of gets you thinking in the back of your head. And then the bracelets, you know, the hair of the mom and then the the dad, he uses those bracelets or, you know, to, to become the new strings on his guitar. So it like, even more power because it's family. Family power! It's like Scott Pilgrim
0: where he he, he gets he uses the power of love and then he uses the power of self-respect, and it's it's pretty good. The power of family, the power within. I like it. So, good times. I, I love a good animated film where they're like, here is the world that you live in. Here are the rules of the world that you live in. Don't ever break them. And what happens five minutes later? <laughs> oh, I'm late. I'm never going get, to get home by sundown. And then what happens? Kubo. Oh my gosh! The sisters, voiced by Rooney Mara. I have no idea who she is, but she did awesome. Are these chicks awesome or
1: what? They were one of the like, best
0: characters. As soon as I saw them in the previews, I was hooked. Like they're so spooky and so cool. Like they they fit that that kind of um, Japanese trope of like the ghost witch lady. Yes. Yeah. It's it's like they perfectly combine Japanese ghosts. With Western witches, you know, that
1: Oh yes. You
0: know?
5: They're de- down to the hat. Their
1: design is amazing because they have these almost kabuki like mask face faces and so when they're talking, their lips don't move because of this mask or, or whatever it in, ends up being and it's just so creepy in how they are designed that it's perfect. I,
0: I loved it. It's it's classic Leica. Mm-hmm. You know? They can they can they they can turn on the creep factor if they want. And um, I was just so impressed by these characters. I loved their fighting style. I loved their attitudes. I love simple characters. I like that this, these characters are just so mean and nasty, you know? Yes. And ch- it's just great designs. 10 out of 10. 10
2: out of 10. I mean, I, I could see
0: them being like um, villains in an anime or like villains in like a Final Fantasy mm-hmm. game, you know? Something like that. Just mm-hmm. so, such style. They kind of reminded love me it.
1: of Zelda Kuman Kotake from... The ocarina oh. of time, except for their they're, yeah. they're kind of old in the game, but it's it's the fact their that there crumbs. are two, which is yes, was very yeah. nice. That's <laughs> right,
0: sister. I love it.
1: Oh, very awesome. Okay, so then you know the mother comes saves saves him with her last breath. Um, he had been given this talisman of this wood carving of a monkey,
0: Mr. Monkey. Mr. Monkey,
1: of course, we must get that right, and then. You know, scene cut, he's in this new area, he's alone, and there is a live monkey, um, who, let's just jump to the chase, is his mom. We come to find out.
0: Okay. Can I just say that I was thoroughly confused with, with, with the parent <laughs> thing? If the monkey was the protector the whole time... Then why? You, he was can, can you have the mom and the monkey in the same universe? No, no. so, so, so poof, the, the
1: talisman. The mom
0: went into the monkey.
1: So y- the monkey statue was never anything. It was just Let me this just, out. A it was carving, just a carving, just a statue. And with her last breath, she kind of put herself into the monkey talisman and turned it to life for a time being. That's how I understood it. Yeah, that's
2: how I understood it too.
0: All right. Well, I, maybe I don't. Maybe maybe I'm overcomplicating it, but the, the mom flew into the monkey at the last second and then popped out and was the yes. monkey. Yes. Okay. But when she got killed, when she got killed by the sister, spoiler alert, she turned back into the monkey and the monkey was broken.
2: Well, no, because her spirit left the monkey was and the monkey... The broken. ...was just the monkey. Who's the monkey? <laughs> the
1: monkey's his uncle?
0: <laughs> all right, all right. I, I can I can do that I can I guess I can do that. So, going back to Charlize Theron, um, she does a great job. She's, I, I she, she channeled a, a lot of uh, Furiosa from Mad Max in this role, and I I, I don't know that's probably why they cast her because she, you know, she was um, a bad A in Mad Max, and she's one in this film. I love Monkey straight off the bat because she is the exact opposite of Kubo. She is mature. She's protective. She doesn't take risks. Her one job is to protect Kubo and stop him from getting killed. And she's a formidable fighter. I I, I just love it. Um, I, I'm i thinking of something the like Bagheera.
2: Bagheera. 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 I feel like her character was so intense. Because even from the very beginning, one, you're bringing in so many different themes with her character. And they don't explain a lot, which makes you need to pay more attention yeah, to Yeah, she's not interested in talking. Um, right. You get three. Well, yeah, she's got this head injury, which also like makes you feel like, okay, yes, Kubo really does have to grow up really quickly. Because this is he's now the guy, and he's the one in charge. And he's the one making sure that their family is going to live another day, basically. And then with her, like, you get a lot of this... There's just, I don't know, there's just so much that comes through that because you just have, I mean, I have had like my grandparents are 99 years old now and they're starting to lose some memories and everything. And so it's, it is really hard to look at like a a loved one that not too long ago knew you and knew what was going on, but now it doesn't. And so you have a lot of that going on in there. And then, like, she'll come back to life. And then you just see, like, this hope for this faith, like, that, that it can come back. And we can still have a good a good family again or a good, you know, something. That things
0: will be okay. Yeah. Or um, back to normal.
2: Yeah. Things will be okay. Um, So there's just so much emotion that comes out of that.
4: Mm.
0: I liked Monkey. And then... And then shortly after, so they're trying to find the armor, right? There's this quest, right? And uh, then shortly afterwards, we're introduced to, in my opinion, was my least favorite character and the least effective character of the film, which was Beetle, voiced by none other than Matthew mcgoo Matthew McConaughey. It's his first animated film, (laughs) folks. Don't be so hard on him. But man, did he lack (laughs) charisma and believability in his character. (laughs) In my opinion. I don't know what y'all thought.
1: Why do you feel that way? I mean, there's not much yeah, that why? Matthew
0: McConaughey can do except be Matthew McConaughey.
1: See, it's it- you know,
0: it's. I was watching a Lincoln commercial by a guy <laughs> by a samurai beetle. See, I dude. guess I, I don't was know. too
1: invested in the story <laughs> that I did not actually recognize it was Matthew McConaughey until uh, I. There was a point midway through, you know, his scenes where I was like, "Is that Matthew McConaughey?" And I didn't think much of it. And then in the credits, they showed his name, and I was like, "Yes, it was. I knew it." So, I mean, obviously, it was very obvious, but I was really invested in the story that I didn't really think about that.
0: I, I don't know, man. I tr- I tried to get into him.
2: I didn't feel taken out of the story by it. I felt like he and and Monkey, like, the the conversation and the back and forth with them, I, I felt that. like that was real. I liked that. I loved that. You know... It was... <laughs> I felt it was very well done and just kind of that...
0: You know, like, wa- watching uh, that banter, you know, watching Beetle and Monkey interact, you know what it reminded me of? Me and Shanna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm totally Beetle, and she's totally Monkey. <laughs> I loved it. I loved that, that dichotomy, and when they start flirting, I, I started suspecting,
4: mm-hmm. but we'll
0: get into that in a second. But I, I love that Beetle was a formidable fighter. I love that he was, he he had this theme of memories, right? Because mm-hmm. it's important yeah. and he had his memories taken away from him. he can't remember it. All he knows is that it's the Beetle Clan. Oh, I'm destined to be with this boy. I must protect him. It is my quest. You know? Oh, it's like, hmm. He's kind of a goofy paternal figure. And so uh, (laughs) let's just go into that. First of all, Kubo, your mom is a monkey. I started figuring this out pretty early, that the monkey was actually the mom. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. I think that they've made that much more obvious than the dad. But I feel like because if you were already catching on to the mom, then you started to catch on to the dad here's uh,
0: here's my problem with how they revealed the dad to be the beetle like the character of the beetle is so dopey and making the connection between that character and this awesome heroic you know epic legendary dragonborn lost father hanzo the samurai it felt completely flat to me because it was this moment where it's like you are the father you (laughs) know and he's like oh i he's like oh i am because i'm matthew McConaughey. You know, <laughs> my favorite fruit is the mango. Oh, I drive. It's a Lincoln. Lincoln stays with you, man. It just didn't work, and then he just he said the cheesiest line. He's like, "Oh, you, you're my quest." You know, it's like it's too early. You don't you don't really know. Like, like did the memories all come flooding back to him at this moment, or did, what? was he still the dopey beetle who accepted that he was Kubo's dad because the witch said it. You know, um. It, it was just a totally flat moment for me. Am I the only person who feels like that? Am I? Am I uh, the only person? No, who feels you're not. That way that didn't like
1: yeah. it, it, it just didn't have as big of an impact to me. Like it was like, oh, okay, yeah, he's the dad. I guess that is what it is. But it wasn't yeah. this. Wow, his dad. He was here the whole time, and I think it's because he was such a dopey character. You're kind of like, oh, well, I thought
2: you were supposed to be this epic
1: warrior.
0: I thought he was supposed to be Hanzo the samurai.
1: Yeah.
2: Well, they kind of lead into that in the beginning when he asked, Mom, what was he really like? Not when he was Mm -hmm. doing all this, but when he was just Mm -hmm. with us.
0: Oh, that's right. And then she she goes off on these qualities that actually describe the beetle pretty well. When you look at it, the beetle's actually a lot like Kubo. So, Mm -hmm. okay, I can see that. Okay, I can see that. You're making the case for me.
2: Yeah, I mean, all of these are there. It's just how well did we catch on Mm -hmm. to them, I guess.
0: Well, this guy... Uh, I felt like they... We've, we've got Dylan here on the YouTube chat who said that he thought the reveal of the beetle felt kind of convenient, but he didn't hate it. So, yeah, I, I thought it was very convenient for the plot to just be like, boom, we need to make this point. Okay, let's move on.
2: I kind of feel like this whole story, like, the, I mean, it's the quest story. So it feels like Wizard of Oz. Like, she has to go on this quest to find these slippers or... No, she has the slippers. Oh, well, that's why. Because she's had it all along. You had the power all along. Um and it's it's basically the same thing and this was actually mentioned a little earlier in the on the chat wing um I think Esther said it, it was just basically you had these you, he's on this quest to go find the the armor and the shield and the sword when really he didn't need any of that he just needed his two strings he needed the power of family
0: power of family
2: Which I thought that was cool but I mean as far as The connection between the two, I didn't feel like there was much, I mean, I felt like I I saw it, you know, maybe it could have been done differently, but I just, I still liked it.
0: What I like about this film is that it doesn't sugarcoat the concept of tragedy. Because Kubo, in that instant, loses both of his parents, again. Yeah. Yeah, the witch lady kills uh, the mom and, and the beetle. Uh monkey and beetle, right? That's what happens, right? Yeah. And and you have this, this uh this constant theme of scars, you know, scars and wounds. You know, from right off the bat, Kubo it loses an eye because his grandpa plucked it out. Like, good <laughs> gosh. Also this very mature and very strange theme of your your own flesh and blood, like your own family being your enemy. Yes. Yeah. And uh very interesting. Well we'll get into the Moon King. But very, very interesting. Uh, if you notice, almost everyone has a has a scar or some sort of external damage. Like Kubo lost his left yeah. eye, obviously. There's this the scarring over the left eye for Kubo's uh Cubo Bones Maw Marowak. And um <laughs> and Mankey I mean Monkey has a, a scar under her right eye and then the Beetle has he has like battle damage and like scratches on his shell and stuff. And um very, very interesting. And so it's interesting how Leica has never shied away from the concept of death, right? Mm-mm. In one movie, it even kind of makes light of it, you know, with the uh, paranormal. But that's, that's one thing I like about Leica. Maybe that's why it didn't quite draw a Secret Life of Pets type audience. Because there were mature themes. You know, maybe some parents yeah. read the Parents Guide on IMDb and were like, Ooh, a kid gets his eye torn out by his grandpa? <laughs> I don't want to send my kids to this. And uh, and so maybe that might have contributed to it. But I really like this theme of scars. And also, like, it's interesting because it reaches out to kids who have actual physical scars or emotional scars. And that you can still be a hero. You yeah. know, you can still have a, a story with a wonderful ending, even though you're not complete or you don't feel complete emotionally or with your family. And so uh and in the end Kubo is all right even though he in the end he leaves with less family than he had at the beginning (laughs) um but he's still you know and and of course with the ending there's the the grand the grandpa thing and the village let's talk about the grandpa let's Ralph Fiennes uh, Ralph Fiennes otherwise also known as he who must not be named um I thought I recognized the voice from somewhere in his scenes, but, man, it did not sound like old Ralphie to me. Like, I'm used to his, uh, his sort of Voldemort-sounding sou- uh, voice uh, like he did for Prince of Egypt. I knew that was Ralph.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think um, he did a great job not necessarily being the traditional Ralph.
0: Yeah. <laughs> this film even had George Takei in it.
4: <laughs> I know.
0: He was, he, was the o- he was the only Asian person who actually voiced a, a role. <laughs> anyway, um, so the Moon King so weird that your grandpa is the bad guy i can't think of another film or like a Mm -hmm. another story like that except um i forgot who was bringing this up in the chat but the the concept of like greek mythology where oftentimes family members were the mortal enemies of other family members you know
2: well and also you think there's a lot of families out there who maybe the parent like this was a this was, yeah, it was a feuding family. You know, the, the parents were not against this, they were not for this marriage. So he was not for this marriage at all um, because she's a magic and from birth. I don't, I don't know what, but like, it's not a welcomed relationship. And it wasn't until the kids that come out of that relationship that help heal it. So, I mean, he does end up with a grandpa. And the end. Let's talk about
0: that. Okay, epic battle. <laughs> oh, I, lo- I epic battle giant giant colossal serpent. You got to do the slide underneath it and cut the belly. You got to do it.
4: <laughs> yeah. You just got to do
0: it. It's 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 mandatory. But um really interesting how they resolve his character. So he becomes mortal again. Spoiler alert. Mhm. And he loses his memory. And this was like ethically, I sort of had a problem with how they handled his situation. So the village shows up and he's like, I've forgotten who I am. Like, I've forgotten my story. So they're like, oh, okay. So they write him a new story. And so they pretty much brainwash him into thinking he's the most kindest model citizen generous man in the village and that everyone loves him for it. He's like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'm I'm a really great guy, so I guess that's what I'll do. And I'm like... It's like, I want to say that there's something wrong with it, but, like, it sounds so weird to say that I have a problem with how they basically (laughs) forced him to be the good guy. I love characters who were bad and turned good. Kane from Final Fantasy IV, classic, you know? And uh, and, uh, and other films, you know? Um, You know, Ants. uh, I don't know, Toy Story 3. I'm sure there was something like that. I, I don't know there's there's all sorts of movies that they do that. I love characters that were started out bad but then ended up good, but this was like a character who started out bad and had no redeeming qualities and then had redemption forced upon him. yes <laughs> and if you know what church I belong to, I don't necessarily like having redemption and salvation forced upon <laughs> me
4: <laughs> oh, yeah. Is I right well, am I right, or am I right? <laughs> I took
2: a whole different side of that. Um, I saw that as kind of you can, you always have time to rewrite your story. So I I took that side, and then always um, the other side I took was a lot of times people will people will act the way we treat them and expect of them. So if you end up talking to somebody and you treat a man, the, the phrase I, I've, I love is it's a quote that says, treat a man as he is and he will be as he is, but treat a man as he could be and he will become what he should be. All right. And so I feel like that's, that's something that I took from it. I was like, yeah, that's, that's a good thing as far as I'm treating my enemy as you know, somebody, here's what... Here, showing them what they could be. And then them having that choice and that having that opportunity to take that road. Okay,
0: okay. So they're, they're kind of helping him to rewrite his own story. Um, yeah. <laughs> I just would have liked it... I just would have liked it better if he realized the evil that he had done and changed. But he was such a nasty, yeah. uh, irredeemable character to begin with, I kind of wish they could have just killed him. But. <laughs> I mean, they, they killed. They killed the sisters. They
1: did. No problem. Easy. Yeah. Let's not be
0: sexist here. Let's kill everyone. All genders should be killed equally. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, I um, I had a problem with that. You know, I was like, oh, the 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 power that they hold, they could they could easily abuse it. But I was like, you know, that's just that's just my personal.
1: So one thing we totally skipped over was this quest for the different parts of the armor and the sword and the helmet. Um. I don't think it's necessarily super important to the story, it was just kind of a device to get Kubo to really you know, move.
0: Yeah, we gotta move this. Yeah, we gotta move
1: you along from point A to point B. You know, introduce you to some new people along the the way. It's the golden brick.
2: Or else
0: he would have just stayed in Kokiri Village all his life, you know. (laughs) Right? Yep. Oh, um, I uh, another kind of if you will forgive me waxing a little philosophical and I want to get y'all's opinion is the the whole concept of what the grandpa wanted was that he didn't want to kill Kubo he wanted him to to be raised to be like him this yes, this yeah. per, as the mom put it this idealistic perfect cold emotionless um deity like like her, uh, like the mom's sisters and it's it's an interesting thing because it, it kind of reminded me of Song of the Sea, where they they gave him the tr- they gave the characters the choice of making all their pain go away, but they would lo- would they lose their soul in the process, or would they they become less human in the process? And so I guess we've got that kind of um, I wouldn't say a golden compass type vibe from it, but just like the defiance of of the Of the ideal of losing your humanity and the cost of being um without heartache and without human frailty, you know it's it's really interesting it's a it's a lot like that mythological thing where it's like it's like you can be a god or you can enjoy something that the people in Olympus can't enjoy, which is the human experience at the expense of your immortality or something like that, you know. It's interesting.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm reading through the chat here, and Esther brings up a good point. Oh, yeah. Read that. Um, Basically just saying that nobody really sees themselves as the bad guy, and that's for sure. She says, I actually thought it was frightening and brilliant how the use of eyes and sight represented seeing the imperfections of the human realm. Getting another Snow Queen vibe here. Um, I... Ice shards in the eye. We see taking away Kubo's sight as something awful, but the grandfather saw as removing his flaws, i.e. his mortal shell. In some twisted way, he wanted his son to be a part of his family again, wanted Kubo to join him in the heavens. Kubo remains firmly mortal and proud of it. Join the dark side, Kubo. There's no sushi, but we have the moon. <laughs> um. So yeah, I, I, I definitely see that as you're You're wanting to validate yourself in bringing somebody over to your side when really this whole process was just as much for the moon King as it was for mm-hmm. Kubo indeed so, well, slow clap for
0: Esther well said.
2: Yes,
0: <laughs> we have such we have such great contribution on our. On See the thing
1: chat. is, that in the chat, there's uh, so really many is. great conversations happening, and I'm trying. I can't keep. Up. I'm trying to stay focused yeah. on you guys and and be really involved in this conversation while we'll have one believe- one it, little it, eye looking over there and, and and totally agree with their conversation. Be like a chameleon, uh, yeah. There's just lots going on. So if you haven't been able to join us live yet, you definitely should because it's really really great. All the different. Conversations that are happening, both you know, on the camera and then in the chats. So you don't want to miss out. I mean, it's,
0: it, it, it's really hard to pay attention to me, so and I demand a lot of attention. <laughs> so props to props to everyone here. If I was to kind of wrap up my feelings for the film, I would say that the opening was brilliant. The journey was very entertaining. The ending was a little abrupt, but in all, this is my favorite Laika film. It it actually it actually surpassed Coraline for me. Sorry, not sorry, but I really enjoyed it. I I, I love where Leica is going, and um, I just hope that they can keep making the films that they want to make, and that um, this their revenue keeps coming in to where they can make this happen.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Man, I love love I love love Leica, and I just I want them to be able to get so much, and I hope that this actually becomes something like. I mean, we're talking about how parents may, may or may not want their kids to watch it's because of the, you know, blood and guts and flesh and flying. Um, but, like, I don't know. I guess some of these movies growing up were some of my absolute favorites. I mean, you got Secret of Nim, which was, like, super dark. And then um, I always, for whatever reason, not sure exactly why, but I always loved The Last Unicorn. And, you know, there's just these Schmedrick. these movies out there. <laughs> there's these movies out there that are just... They just make you think, and they just make you—it's just so different from what normal um, movies of today come out. I mean, there's just—the Secret Life of Pets is the the best um, non—is the, the best antonym of what this movie is, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not that I didn't like Secret Life. It was a, eh, cool. But it was—like, this one just had that flair, that spark, that I was like, yes— Something that I can sink my teeth into and think deeply on. I love it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Laika. Oh. Sorry.
0: Chelsea, what did you think about the music of the film? We didn't even talk the about The
2: music this. of the film? You're right, we didn't. Um, from what I remember, I I liked it. I mean, there was definitely a lot of a lot of themes in it that really that did a good job at grabbing you. And I felt that your... Um, like there was one theme toward the end that it kept coming back and I just felt it was just really really pretty um, I'll put that in the audio version of the podcast um, but yeah the, so i've I definitely thought that the that the theme music was very well handled um, specifically toward the end in the beginning I didn't get as much of a of a like, a tie, but there was this one melody that caught me at the end that was replayed quite a bit, and I really liked it.
0: I liked all the guitar parts, you know?
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, which,
1: which goes quite well really with, you know, we didn't talk a lot about side. the guitar, but that really was kind of this constant element that he had with him. So, you know, it made sense that there were these this guitar uh, theme in the background. Um, we kind of we, – we briefly talked about it, but the, the two strings – uh, I thought that definitely uh, was an interesting way to tie it all together.
2: Yeah, the the two strings I felt like were were it was like I mentioned before the Yellow Brick Road story, um, where she had it all all on her own. Um, and I felt like it was it was a nice touch. You always have the power to change your
0: change own your story, change your fate,
2: change your fate, <laughs> change your stars. So before we talk about our final thoughts
1: and rating it, we did do a listener Twitter question, which I asked earlier today. I said, who's your favorite character from Kubo and the Two Strings and why? Frank Foster, whose shout out is in the chat, said the sisters because they're cool and creepy designs.
0: Cool and creepy. The fight
1: with the monkey on the boat was my favorite scene. Lauren Rodriguez says, did you guys review that one yet? Okay, that's not (laughs) a review. Uh, That's
0: that's not a character.
1: (laughs) Rosie Sinner said, monkey and her cold yet caring personality to her incredible animation slash design. Loved it a bit. Also, uh, A plus Charlize. Uh, Kyle Bennett says, my favorite character would have to be Monkey because of her complex relationship with the other characters. And Matt, yes, that Matt, says, uh, Spoilers, Kubo, I was so moved by him forgiving his grandfather. Ben S. says, uh-huh. Kubo himself, because he is yet another great Leica like child lead. So, very cool. So, thank you guys for sending in your thoughts about who your favorite um, character was. Now, let's wrap it up. So, guys, what would you rate this film?
0: That's a tough one.
2: I'm going to I'm going to give this 4.5. I feel like it had enough that I was able to really dive into a lot of it and it really kept me wanting more. Um I felt like there was just a lot of themes, there's a lot of just a lot that came out of this and holy macaroni. <laughs> this the animation blew my mind. Every every turn I was just in awe. It was a spectacle a spectacle to behold. Everyone should see it, even if they have it on mute the entire time. And you just look at the pictures, the pretty, pretty pictures, you're going to be in awe. Um, so that's why I give it 4.5. I couldn't quite give it a 5, just because there was a, a couple things in there that didn't really didn't resonate at a 5 for me. But 4.5, definitely.
1: All right. I am going to give it... It's hard. I'm I'm teetering between 4 and 4.5, so before I get there, let me just give my thoughts. This is one of my favorite Leica films. I think it's up there. Coraline is my all-time favorite. Uh, I don't know if it surpasses Coraline or if it's just right below Coraline, but it is definitely up there. I absolutely love the story. I love the setting, um, this very Japanese setting. I love the design who there's, you cannot stop talking about the animation. And the story itself was very interesting. I really liked the characters. I thought that for the most part, all the characters were very unique and, and complex. And um, so for that reason, I'm going to give it 4.25 because I can't make up my mind. So we'll just... 4.25, we, will, we can't do
0: we'll that. will cut
1: it in the middle and that's what I will give this film. But <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think about replay value. Like, Would this be a film that I would really like to watch again? Um, and I just need more time I with would. it, so definitely up there.
0: Let's see. Uh, what do I think? I, I'm going to give it a, a solid four out of five stars. There were some parts, like, story-wise that I thought were a little rushed or maybe not handled very well. But in all, the visuals and like the epic scope and all that jazz um, just, just blew my mind. And... Um, so I, from a technical standpoint, you know, y'all know that I'm a real technical guy when it comes to animation. I really enjoyed it. Story could have been a little bit better, but um, I th- I thought it was great.
1: Excellent. Uh,
0: yeah, four out of five. For further
1: review, I'm going to bump it up to four points. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Woo! <laughs>
1: to the voicemails. We had so many voicemails that we can't even contain them all.
4: Hi, Rose school friends. I saw Kubo and the Two Strings, and I loved it. I don't know if it's my favorite like film, but I still really enjoy this film. I think the stop motion and the art of it is beautiful, and also it has a very strong story, and it's not afraid to go dark. I like how this film, even though it's a kid's film, it doesn't go for the cheap Like, kind of like, all the characters are back. Like, when a character dies in this film, like, they stay dead, and it's... It's sad, but I think it gives the film, like, a great, like, mature vibe that I think a lot of other animated films don't have. But, um, with that being said, I don't think I liked how much they kept constantly changing the ensemble cast. I think that's maybe the reason why it's not, like, my all-time favorite, like, a film. But... Who knows, I'm going to see it tomorrow again, so I might change my mind. But I still love the movie, and I'm giving it four stars. Thanks. Hey,
5: Rotoscopers, it's Dylan, and I just got out of Kubo and the Two Strings. And another slam dunk for Leica Studios, another movie with rich characters, rich story, and incredible stop-motion animation. I love that stop-motion animation is still coming out in 2016. I mean, especially for kids that necessarily aren't shown older stop-motion animation films. I love that we get to have different flavors and not always the squeaky clean computer animation. I thought the movie was incredible. I loved its main message as far as um, it seems to be... Dealing with death, and it's the way that you can keep your loved ones alive in your heart is telling their story and remembering their story, which is something that over the past years, dealing with loss myself, has been something that's really been something that I believed in and developed in myself. So I loved, I love seeing that reflected back up on the screen, and I feel like like a um, really goes challenges, um, especially younger moviegoers to. Have fun at the movies and have fun with the animation, but also really delve into what you think and how those themes affect you and how that reflects in you and how it might reflect in you in the future. Thanks, guys.
6: I Hi, i Scopers. Uh, I'm, it's Hannah again, calling in with a last-minute voicemail for my thoughts on Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, that movie was amazing. It wasn't a perfect movie, but the visuals, the adventure, oh, I was never a, hu- a huge fan of Coraline, but like, my hat goes off to you for this one. There isn't anything really I hate about this movie. The characters are cool, um, the action is amazing, the designs are beautiful, like right out of the Japanese painting from old times there's so much i could say in under two minutes but i'm just going to say kubo's mom is awesome i mean her design her love and devotion to her son and even the twist about her but i'm not gonna say oh best nine bucks i spent well continue being awesome (laughs) bye-bye
3: Hey guys, this is Joey from Plano, Texas, shout out to Mason, and I decided to call in, since you are doing Kubo and Two Strings. I am super excited about this movie, guys. Like, it always shows up when it comes to animation, and this might seriously be the most beautiful film I've ever seen. Not even exaggerating. From the character designs, to the landscapes, I don't think there's a single frame in this movie that isn't beautiful. Aside from the animation, the story is pretty good, too. I really love how many animated films have approached the issue of death in a very mature way. The Book of Life was one, then Song of the Sea. Now we can add Kubo to that list. Usually in these hero stories, the gods give the hero his quest, and in the end, he is given an opportunity to join them, become a god, and become immortal. But what was so cool about this movie was they flipped it around. The gods are the evil ones. And Kubo needs to stay immortal so that he can remain, he can retain his humanity. It's a pretty bold theme for any movie, not just one aimed at children. I really think that this is going to go down as a classic, guys. And I really look forward to hearing your thoughts on it. Unless you didn't like it, in which case, you're dead to me. All right. Take care, guys.
7: Hello, Rotoscopers. Ryan Pareto here, fresh out from watching Kubo and the Two Strings. And I just have to say, Leica is too good. They are too good. You can see in every scene how much they care about what they do. The quality infused into their medium is stellar, and I cannot seem to find the words to praise them enough. I just want as many people to see this film. So please, Roto community, go see this movie and have friends go see it as well. We as animation fans need to support this kind of film, which offers up a quality product from a new property and not to disparage what movies are doing nowadays because it is a business and the almighty dollar needs to be pandered to. But I looked up several movie theaters while trying to find a where Kubo is playing, and in favor of it, theaters were putting a Suicide Squad in multiple theaters, which, again, is fine if people are going to pay for it. It's cool, but please go out and see this film. Show, Leica how much we support them and how much we appreciate all the effort they lovingly placed in this beautiful film. On a personal note, Leica brought me to the Rotoscopers with Paranorman, so watching this, I felt like they were playing our song. Also, there's a little spooky-spook sp- parts in the movie. So, I mean, for younger audiences. Thank you, guys. Love you. Bye.
6: Hey, Riders of It's me, Tara, again. And I'm here to leave a voicemail for Eric Cupo and the Two Strings Podcast. Yay, which the live stream actually is on my birthday. And I feel like it's your birthday gift to me. I'm so happy. <laughs> I can't resist. Um, I really love this movie. I got to go see it last Tuesday. And, hands down, it's probably my favorite anime movie of the year, Knock on Wood. I could change my mind. Um, I loved everything about this movie. I loved the visuals, the plot. Okay, I didn't like the ending because it's kind of hokey. But this was just a really solid movie, and I cannot wait to hear you guys' thoughts. I'm telling you right now, though, Mason's favorite character is Beatles. It totally is. Um, I'll see you on my birthday. Bye.
1: thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the animation addicts podcast a little shout out we finally hit twenty thousand subscribers on youtube so thank you to everyone who has followed us and subscribed to us on our channel that's really exciting that is one of the many places you can find us on the internet you can find us on twitter instagram youtube snapchat all of the places at rotoscopers is where you'll find us For show notes for this episode, be sure to go to rotoscopers.com slash 130. That's where you can comment and leave us your review of Kubo and the Two Strings if you were not able to join us live. And then also there's also great discussion that happens on those episode uh, posts, so go check that out. Uh, you can leave us a voicemail, which uh, by next episode, hopefully we'll be able to get to work live. Um, but that's at rotosophers.com slash voicemails or 406-646-6575. Our next episode is going to be a patron pick, which is an American tale. will Goes West, also known as American Tale 2. So if you want wow. to give your thoughts on that, definitely send us voicemails ahead of time and we will Make sure we can play it on the show, whether live or after the fact. It will be in there. And all the good
2: stuff. Any last thoughts, guys? This has been a really great, fun time for me to talk. I've enjoyed the conversation, so thank yeah, you. Yeah, it's
0: been a good episode. Also, uh, happy birthday to our very own Sarah, who is like yeah,
2: happy birthday, on the Sarah.
0: chat like all the time and sends us voicemails.
1: Happy birthday. Sends us voice happy very nice so happy birthday to sarah and thanks to everyone who joined us live um it's very exciting to not only have you know our discussion but we get to hear your discussion and your thoughts on kubo and from the chat it seems most people were very generally positive on this film i don't think i've met anyone directly who didn't really necessarily like this so uh if you have not seen it and you're listening to this anyway go see it Go appreciate it. It's amazing. Go support Leica. And that's all I have to say. Yeah. So until next time, we are Rotoscopers. Perfect. All right, guys. Thanks for joining us. See you later. Bye-bye. Have a good
0: night. Bye. Keep, keep stalling. Keep stall and I will longer. continue to stall. So. Chelsea, sing a song or something, Chelsea. <laughs>
2: Yay. <laughs> we had Ryan ask me in the beginning, "Where am I?" I am in Sao Paulo, Brazil.
0: How was the Olympics?
2: Oh my gosh, the Olympics were amazing. Um so I did have a ticket to go to the Olympics. I went to the men's soccer final where Brazil won and Neymar kicked the winning goal and it was just like everybody went crazy. Um so if you've been following me on Snapchat or Instagram, I have been posting both of those and both of them are have different stuff that I end up putting on there so you should follow me on But yes, the Olympics were fantastic.